Well, good morning again. Thank you so much for being here today, and uh, I hope that you're blessed and encouraged. It's always an awesome blessing to be able to gather together again. I want you to find your Bible, and I want you to open to James chapter 4. Take your Bible, open to James chapter 4. We've been studying James on Sunday mornings, and so you could put your, put your bookmark or your ribbon or your thumb right there in James chapter 4, and then I want you to turn also to Matthew chapter 7. So we'll be studying James chapter 4 today, uh, but we're going to also look at Matthew chapter 7 by way of introduction. So James chapter 4, and then the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7. We're going to see what the Word of God has to say. We're staying in James, but we're visiting Matthew before we get there, okay? So have you heard this phrase before? You can't judge me. Who are you to say that what I'm doing is wrong? Who are you to judge me? I've even heard it in church, right? The Bible says you can't judge me. Judge not, lest you be judged. I've even seen a t-shirt that says, only God can judge me. Have you seen those before? As if someone is living however they want and inviting God to judge them. I would not dare wear a t-shirt like that. Only God can judge me. Now, we've taught an entire generation that, that there are no moral absolutes. We've taught an entire generation that there is no such thing as right and wrong. And now we reap a harvest of anything goes in our society. That the reality is when the Bible talks about judging, when the Bible talks about criticism, and when the Bible talks about self-righteousness, we need to listen and we need to understand. But when the Bible says, judge not lest you be judged, we need to try to figure out what that means. Because the worst sin in our society is when you tell somebody else they're wrong. That's the only thing you can't do today. Have you noticed that? The only thing you're not allowed to do is to make a moral judgment or evaluation on someone's lifestyle choice or someone's decisions or what they say on Facebook or how they live your life, their life. You are only allowed to do what you think is right, but you're not allowed to say what you think other people ought to do based on what's right and based on what's wrong. And when there are no moral absolutes, then who are you? to tell me what's right. In fact, doesn't Jesus say in Matthew chapter 7 that we shouldn't judge? Listen to what he says in the greatest sermon in the history of the world, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says in, in Matthew chapter 7, he says, judge not lest you be judged. Judge not that, that you be not judged. For with the judgment that you pronounce, you'll be judged. And with the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that it's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And then they'll say, well, see, Jesus even says, you can't judge me. You've got a log in your eye. I've only got a speck in my eye. Is that really what it means? Let me say very clearly this morning, the Bible is always opposed to harsh, critical, self-righteous condemnation. Everywhere in Scripture, you will see the Bible is absolutely opposed to a self-righteous, critical, condemning spirit. But the Bible also tells us in other places that we must do what is right, and we must discern what is good. And so if we're going to do what's right, if we're going to discern what is good, how do we determine that? 
We determine that by the word of God, and we have to judge based on the word of God what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is bad. And the Bible says clearly that right and wrong, good and evil absolutely exist. So with that in mind, James begins to speak in James chapter 4 about judging others. And I want to make a very critical distinction, something we need to understand. It is always wrong to be judgmental, harsh, and critical. Self-righteousness is an insidious sin that all of us must battle against. But it's also not wrong to determine that which is right and that which is wrong, that which is good and that which is evil. James says in James chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, he says this, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge who's able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? There's the title of the message. Who are you to judge me? Who are you to judge your neighbor? And so while James wants us to avoid this self-righteous, condemning spirit, how are we to judge appropriately based on the Word of God? First of all, he gives us a principle to consider. We see this in the first part of verse 11. James gives us a principle to consider. What does he say there at the beginning of the verse? The beginning of verse 11, he says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. This principle is simple, but it's strong. Don't speak evil against one another, brothers. The the Greek literally refers to it this way. Do not speak down to or about someone else. Do not speak against, the New American Standard says. Don't speak against someone else. And so, listen to me carefully. The Bible says slander is always wrong. You know what slander is when you, when you spread lies about somebody. But I want you to notice here, the Bible doesn't put any qualification. It just says don't speak evil, don't speak down, don't speak against a brother or sister in Christ. And it doesn't say whether the accusation or the allegation is true or false. Don't spread anything negative about your brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, clearly, he's talking to the church and he's talking about the church because he says don't speak evil against one another, brother. And he uses the word brother three times. Brothers and sisters, that's the body of Christ. That's the family of God. And so he says, don't speak down. Don't speak against one another. Don't spread rumors and lies and gossip and and slander against one another. So this forbids any speech that tears down the body of Christ or tears down your neighbor or tears down the brother or the sister in the family of God. How about that? That's pretty strong, James says, don't judge one another. we got to be careful how we speak. I heard about four pastors who got together for some encouragement, some blessing, and they were sitting around a table, and they began to say, you know, uh, we're we're pastors at congregations, and we encourage uh, the people in our churches. We tell them that confession is good for the soul, and we bear their burdens, and so we ought to do that with one another. There are four pastors here, so let's, let's bear our burdens. Let me, let's share our deepest, darkest, most difficult secrets or the vices that we struggle with. And so one pastor spoke up and said, well, I'll be honest, after a, after a long week or sometimes a long day, I'll, uh, I'll drive to the other county and visit the, visit the liquor store just to kind of calm down a little bit. And they said, okay, 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 we'll, we'll pray for you. We'll pray for you. And then you're know, helping one another. And then the other one says, well... You know, to be honest, I like to, uh, 
I like to get off by myself and light up a big cigar and, uh, you know, just enjoy that from time to time. Okay, we'll, we'll pray for you. The other one confessed his sin of gambling. He loved to play cards and, and gamble. And so these guys are sharing their burdens. And finally comes the fourth guy. And they're like, all right, you share. No, 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 I can't share my sin. Yes, you need to share your sin. No, 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 I can't, I can't share my sin. Finally, they get, we're, we're sharing our burdens with them. We want to help you. He said, my sin is gossiping, and I I can hardly wait to get out of here. (laughs) The Bible talks about how important it is for us to live faithful lives, especially when it comes to how we speak, how we talk, and how we lift up others. Now, let me ask you this question. Do your words build up or tear down? Do your words encourage or discourage? Do your words help or harm? Do your words bring life or do they bring death? Now, this is very challenging. It's challenging for uh, pastors. It's challenging for people. It's challenging for moms and for dads and for brothers and sisters. It's not as hard for grandparents to talk sweet to their grandkids. I don't know what happens when you become a grandparent. Apparently, all the rules that apply to me no longer apply to the grandkids. I don't know how that works, but it just works that way. The Bible talks about how important it is for us to speak words of life. He gives us a principle to consider. Secondly, he shows us the problem we encounter. He shows us a problem we encounter. We see this in the latter part of verse 11 to the beginning of verse 12. So this self-righteousness, judgmental, harsh spirit leads to multiple problems and issues in our lives. And it'll be evident as we begin to judge others. Now the word judge is used six times in these two verses. You may want to go through these two verses and just circle everywhere it uses the word judge. It's used six times in these verses. Look, look right at the end of verse 11. So skip that first sentence that we just studied. Here it says, the one who speaks against his brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. Now in the beginning of verse 12, there's only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and destroy. Six times the word judge is used, and so I want to talk about what that word means in the original language. The New Testament was written in Greek, and so the word judge in the New Testament is the word krinos. It doesn't refer to a biblical, faithful examination or evaluation. It refers to condemnation and criticism. So the Bible says that to judge others critically and harshly is always forbidden and always condemned. Apparently, James, even at First Baptist Church Jerusalem, had all kinds of issues and problems with the church being unkind and unloving towards one another. And so we would think when we hear the word judge that, well, maybe that means we're not supposed to tell people what's right or what's wrong. Maybe that means we're not supposed to, to rebuke others and to help them discern what is good. But the reality is James is teaching us about a self-righteous, harsh, and judgmental spirit. And here's what this leads to in our lives. It leads to multiple sins in our lives. The first one is this. We act like we're better than others. When we're self-righteous and judgmental, we elevate ourselves above other people. When we speak down, we speak against our brothers and sisters in Christ, we elevate ourselves above other people and we constantly, continually put others down. Look at what he says, when we speak evil against one another, one who speaks against his brother judges his brother. 
And so, do your words lift people up or tear people down? Here's, here's what I've noticed. Self-righteousness is a sin that's still acceptable in most churches. Self-righteousness is a sin that's still allowed in most religious circles. But self-righteousness is the sin that Jesus addresses most in the New Testament. The Pharisees and the scribes, Jesus addresses them most. To the sinner, he's loving and welcoming, but to the self-righteous, he pushes them back because they're not yet willing to come to him in humility. And so stop and listen to yourself and what you say. Do your words build up or do they tear down? We act like we're, we're better than others. Not only that, we act like we're better than the law. We actually elevate ourselves above others, but we elevate ourselves above the Word of God. When we become judgmental, when we become harsh and critical, we elevate ourselves above Scripture. We think now we stand in judgment and we can make the rules for how someone ought to operate. Look at what he says in verse 12. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, you're a judge. You begin to believe that you make the rules, that you set the standards, that people ought to live according to your desires and your principles and your rules. Well, when you elevate yourself above the law, you become arrogant and prideful. John Stott in his book, Authentic Christianity, says this. We need to repent of the haughty way in which we sometimes stand in judgment upon Scripture. We must learn to sit humbly under its judgment instead. If we come to Scripture with our minds made up, expecting to hear only an echo of our own thoughts and never the thunderclap of God's, then indeed He will not speak to us and it will only be confirmed what we think our own prejudice in our own mind. We must allow the Word of God to confront us, to disturb our security, to undermine our complacency, and to overthrow the patterns of our thoughts and behaviors. In other words, we don't come to the Word of God taking our desires or our preferences or our prejudices and laying them over Scripture. Instead, we allow Scripture to inform our lives and then to speak into us and form our opinions. So we make ourselves better than others. We make ourselves better than the law, but... But then James says, when you act like in a self-righteous manner, you, you act like you're better than God. We act like we're better than God. Look at what he says there in verse 11. Check this out. Not only do we speak evil against the law, we judge the law. We're not a doer of the law, but a judge. And then at the beginning of verse 12, he says there's only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and destroy. And so when we're self-righteous, we actually, the height of arrogance... We actually begin to take the place of God, and we become the judge. We become the decider. We become the one who says what's right and what's wrong, instead of the Word and instead of the Holy Spirit, instead of God. Now, this is an interesting phrase when he says there's only one lawgiver and judge. There's only one place in the New Testament where the word lawgiver is used to refer to God. It's not even used in Exodus chapter 20 when the Ten Commandments are delivered to Moses. He's referring to the Lord. He's referring to God. He says there's only one lawgiver. God's the lawgiver. So God's the one who gives the law. And then it says there's only one judge. God's the one who gives the law. God's the one who decides what the law is. He delivers the law. He applies the law. He says it's only one. In the original language, literally it says one is the lawgiver and judge. They would repeat that phrase, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And so 
clearly the Jewish readers would understand he's talking about Jehovah God. God is the one who sets the standard. God is the one in charge. He's the one who makes the call. He's the one who makes the decision. Many of you have heard of Babe Ruth, probably one of the most famous baseball players in the history of the sport. One day, Babe Ruth was playing baseball, and he got called out on a third strike that he thought was a ball. 40,000 people in the stands began to boo. Babe Ruth turned around and talked to the umpire named Babe Pinelli. Apparently, Babe was a popular name back then. I don't know. And he looked at the umpire, and he said, uh, he said there are 40,000 people in the stands, and every one of them know that last pitch was a ball. Babe Ruth's coach and players in the dugout began to brace for impact. They were certain that Babe Ruth was about to be ejected from the game. But Babe Pinelli responded in a calm, simple manner and said, you might be right, but my opinion is the only one that counts. Well, that's pretty good, right? You might be right. Everybody in the stands might believe that last pitch was a ball, but if I say it was a strike, it was a strike. Everybody in the world might believe one thing is true, but if God says it's true, then it's true. Everybody in the world might want to live according to their own principles or their own standards, not according to the Word of God, but if God says it's true and God says it's right, His opinion is the one that counts. Not yours, not mine, not network television, not 24-hour news. His opinion is the opinion that counts. He gives us a principle to consider. He shows us the problem we encounter. And then thirdly, he makes a point we should remember. He finishes here with a rhetorical question. This is where we draw our title today. What does he say? But who are you to judge your neighbor? Who are you to stand in judgment? We just said that when we stand in judgment, it makes us better than others. We act like we're better than the law, better than the Bible. We act like we're better than God. Who are you to judge? Who am I to stand in judgment of others? Remember... He's not saying we can't discern and determine what is good, what is right, and what is wrong. He's not saying we can't rebuke and encourage others. The Bible gives us instructions in various places to do that. He's saying we should not be harsh, judgmental, and critical in our spirit. How dare we be self-righteous? Because when we judge, we make, ourselves, we make ourselves judge, jury, and executioner if we're not careful. So he says, who are you to judge your neighbor? In other words, what gives you the right? What gives you the right to pass on the gossip? What gives you the right to pass on the rumors? What gives you the right to make up the lies? What gives you the right to pass on the rumor? It's always for, forbidden in Scripture. We tend to, what I've noticed, when we make a mistake, we tend to give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. But when someone else makes a mistake, we tend to believe the worst. Have you ever noticed that? We can always make excuses why we mess up. Well, you don't understand. I was stressed. It was difficult. I have a short fuse. I just have a temper. That's just the way God made me. That's the way I am. We have all sorts of excuses for ourselves, and we always believe the best about ourselves. But then when someone else does the very same thing, we begin to judge in a harsh and critical manner. Here he gives us a principle to remember. The point is, who are you to be harsh, critical, self-righteous, and judgmental? I want you to imagine you're, you're driving down the highway. You're driving down the highway and you see a sign, no littering, $100 fine. You've seen a sign like that before. Then you go a little farther down and uh, maybe you see a uh, dumpster one mile. Do you remember back? I remember growing up, there was a dumpster right there off of 247. You could just swing up and drop your trash and trash compactor, you know. And so we don't have that a lot in Houston County, but it's in, it's in other places. There are dumpsters along the road. You just stop and drop your trash. 
And then you're driving down the road a little bit more and you see a garbage truck, right? There are three things you can do with litter, three things you can do with trash. You can collect it, you can scatter it, or you can dispose of it. Some people are garbage collectors. Every little rumor, every little lie, every little piece of slander or gossip, do you know what they do? They collect it. And it wouldn't be that bad if all they did was collect it, but then what they do is this. They collect it, and then they go up and down the highways of life, and they begin to scatter it here, there, and everywhere. So everyone can see, and so everyone can pick it up, and it just litters the lives of others. I praise God for certain people who actually know how to collect it and dispose of it. You want to know how gossip dies? Do you want to know how gossip dies? Keep your mouth shut. That's how gossip dies. Do you want to know how all of these rumors and all the problems and the issues just, just be quiet? Take it, put it in the litter bag, tie it up tight, and dispose of it instead of collecting it and then distributing it to everybody else. I thank God that there are certain people who know how to keep their mouth shut. Gossip, the Bible says in Proverbs, gossip, slander, all this is going to die like a fire dies without oxygen. Gossip is going to die when we don't begin to give it the, the feed and the fuel that it needs in order to grow. And James says, no, no wonder he says that the tongue is a fire, set on fire by hell. Because we've got a lot of people, even in the church, who just are constantly littering, talking about other people, talking about the church, talking about the body of Christ. It don't matter if they're talking politics. It doesn't matter if they're talking church. It doesn't matter if they're talking society. All they do is they litter the highway of life. In Passion for Preaching, Alan Redpath said something very profound. He said, think before you speak. He said, at a very difficult time in my ministry, I got a group of men together for mutual encouragement. And what we began to do was, was we began to encourage one another. And here's, here's how we did it. We said that we want to think before we speak. And before we said something, we, we, we had a criteria that we established prior to saying something. First of all, think before you speak. Is it true? Is it true? And so the T in think, is it true? The H, is it helpful? The I, is it inspiring? The N, is it necessary? The K, is it kind? And he said, you would be amazed at all the things we thought about saying that we never said and all the things we needed to say that we hadn't said before. Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? Is it kind? And maybe, just maybe, if the body of Christ would be willing to live by the standards set forth in Scripture, we would begin to build one another up instead of tear one another down. Hey, when's the last time you saw an, uh, an article or you read a story or you heard a rumor and you decided you were going to believe the best before you began to believe the worst? We ought to be life givers, building up the body of Christ, encouraging one another in the faith and leading in godliness and faithfulness. You know, if you're if you're here today, the Bible, James gets real practical. The Bible deals with some very specific stuff. James keeps coming back to the way we speak. 
He keeps coming back to the tongue. He keeps coming back to our words. Remember, we've already, we've already had a whole message of how we're supposed to bite our tongue and watch our mouth. And now here we are again. And so he's very practical. The reality is that when the Spirit of God lives inside of me, he transforms my life and he begins to transform and change every part of who I am. Do you know that? And so when I trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, my life begins to be transformed by his grace. And then my attitude is changed, my outlook is changed, my speech is changed, my desires are changed. And so the question then is, have there ever been a time in your life where you've been transformed, where you've been changed by the power of the Word of God and the Spirit of God? Have you been saved? You know, right here, in just a moment, we're going to have an invitation. Pastors will be here to talk to you, and we can take you to a counseling room to talk to you about what it means to know Jesus. Also, I mean, you may be nervous about getting up and walking down to talk to somebody, but you can text the word RESPOND to 478-324-5402. Has there ever been a time in your life where you've trusted in Jesus? Has it changed you from the inside out? See, don't, don't say, oh, that's just who I am because Jesus changes who you are. He transforms you. The Bible says that we're sinners and we're separated from God. And all of us need a relationship with him in order to be restored. Sin separates us from God. But Jesus came to live a perfect life we couldn't live. He died a death on the cross that we deserved. He didn't stay dead. He rose again from the grave three days later. Now the Bible says he's ascended to the Father. He offers hope. He offers salvation and forgiveness to anyone who would repent and believe. 